0: Hi, I'm Craig Williams, and this is Beyond the Tassel. When it comes time to actually apply for college, as parents, we want students to have a good sense as to what they're looking for in a school, maybe even a ballpark idea of what they want to study, and definitely what they can afford. But something lots of kids often fail to consider, and statistically, this is even more pronounced among rural kids, is just how far a little deeper dive into the public versus private option can take them. Look, there are over 3,500 colleges and universities in the United States. And while it's impractical to examine each and every one at much depth before you make your choice, it is an excellent strategy to at least consider and perhaps even make an application to a few widely divergent options. Now, here's what I mean. If you thought you'd just stroll down the road to your nearby public institution because it seemed to have the right sticker price, and because you'd grown up cheering on their football, basketball, or Quidditch teams, I'd like to propose that you expand your options just a bit. Nothing wrong with nearby, and there's nothing wrong with public, but did you know that if you could get accepted by a private school, like Yale or Vanderbilt or even Stanford, you might not have to pay anything at all to attend, and by the way, Those are just the big name brands that you've all heard of. There's about 115 others that you may or may not have heard of, but which could also actually cost you very little. Furthermore, did you know that lots of schools in that category would love to have broader inclusion of students just like you? Students from rural areas. Well, there are. And in fact, there are more than a 100 schools that'll make it financially possible for you to attend If your family household income is below a certain number and candidly that number is actually pretty high at $125,000 it's nearly double the US average income so I'd encourage you to at bare minimum apply to one or two schools that are way outside your typical comfort zone now let's jump in and explore some of the big differences between public and private there's quite a lot to digest As we compare and contrast the greatest distinctions between private and public schools, I think it's fair to first lay out the three most obvious. One, private schools are typically much smaller. Two, private schools tend to be much more expensive. Although, I've spoken about one notable exception several times, and will do so again later in this episode. And three, they tend to be more selective, which means two things. First, they're harder to get into. And second, it tends to mean, at least in the minds of people who measure such things, that they are a bit more prestigious. So let's talk about the size difference first and what that really means in practical terms to you. With a smaller incoming class, you actually do have half a chance of getting to know people across the entire spectrum of your class. And speaking of class, the size of each class, as in classrooms, tends to be considerably smaller in private schools than in public. So, this translates to a much lower student-to-teacher ratio, meaning you'll probably have a more direct relationship, or at least the opportunity to have one, with your professors and other instructors. Also, you may find that with smaller classes, you'll have more engaged and more robust classroom discussions, just due to the lack of the lecture hall vibe, and presence of a more intimate classroom arrangement. Now, private schools are definitely more expensive, with the top 40 or so private institutions tipping the scale all in at between 75 dollars and $80,000 per year, whereas the top publics average about 20% of this for in-state students. But don't fret just yet, because as I'm inclined to mention periodically, the top 115 or so private schools all come with something known as needs-based financial aid, coupled with needs-blind admission. Now, this means that you gain admittance on your own merits and then let them know later that you've got no possible way of paying for their fine institution. In other words, uh, you will qualify for the financial aid that you need in order to attend once they've accepted you and they accept you on the basis of your merit, not on the basis of whether or not you can afford their institution. So then it becomes a matter of proving that you are incapable of paying for their Fine institution, and shortly thereafter, the financial aid department will issue you waivers for some portion of the cost and occasionally for the entire cost. Also, most private schools will not offer merit scholarship money, whereas most public schools will. This can be meaningful for many students and should definitely be explored. Now, the selectivity of a private school versus a public school is again something that doesn't necessarily apply across the spectrum. But in general, it does play out with private schools being considerably more selective. With the exception of the four U.S. military academies, the 57 most selective schools in the United States are all private. It isn't until we reach number 58 that we even see a public school. And at that point, we see the very fine University of California at Berkeley. Now, its acceptance rate in 2020 was 17% and many consider it to be among the very finest of schools in the entire world. Now at the top of this list, by the way, is Stanford at 4% acceptance rate. Harvard, Columbia, Princeton, the University of Chicago, Caltech, and Yale follow at between 5 and 6% acceptance rate. But let me explain a few things about these numbers. First of all, we're going for fit, not prestige or selectivity. That said... These are some mighty fine schools, to be sure. But there's a few secrets I'll share with you about why their selectivity is so high. To begin with, let's consider a math problem as we examine the 4% acceptance rate of Stanford. So in the class of 23, 1,701 students enrolled in Stanford. That means out of all the applicants who were accepted, about 1,700 said yes and actually enrolled. The percentage of all who were accepted who enroll is actually called the yield. And Stanford has a very high yield, 82%, which ties it with Harvard and puts it just a few points ahead of peer schools, University of Chicago, and MIT, which come in at 77 and 76% respectively. But back to our math problem. If we wanted to find out how many students were actually accepted to Stanford for the class of 23 we'd simply divide 1,701, those who'd enrolled, by 82%, the acceptance rate. And when we do that, we find the number to be 2,074. So now that we know how many kids were accepted, let's divide again. This time, by the acceptance rate, 4%, to see how many kids actually applied. The answer? 51,859. That's how many applications Stanford received for the class of 23. That's an awfully lot of applications for only 1,701 spots. So how to explain this? Well, Stanford is a wonderful school, and it is situated in an amazing part of the country, featuring some of the most dynamic advances in business, technology, science, and culture. And plus, you're just a stone's throw from the Pacific Ocean. It is a beautiful part of the country. The San Francisco Bay Area of California. But there's more to it than that. A little thing called marketing comes into play here. Yes, that's the secret. Some might even call it a dirty little secret. And here's what I mean. The admissions team at Stanford knows that in order to garner the attention of the ranking organizations, they will have to appear to be very selective. After all, doesn't it mean that the harder a school is to get into parallels its desirability and thus its quality? Isn't that what they have us all convinced of? I mean, that's their aim. So... I will say this, that statement, as absurd as it sounds, it's sort of, kind of, sometimes, but not always true. But it kind of is. Now in this case, the vast majority of those applications probably had no business landing in the admissions offices of Stanford University. But that didn't stop the marketing team of the school from making sure that thousands of students all across the country received marketing material from Stanford in order to entice them to apply. And that's why they received 51,859 applications. And that's why Stanford gets to brag about their uber low acceptance rate, 4%. You can run the same formula on most of the schools that US News and World Report ranks in their top 50 or so, and you'll find that the vast majority of them have very low acceptance rates. But as I said earlier, that's largely the result of very effective marketing. It's also usually a fair indication of the quality of the school overall but remember nobody attends an entire school we only attend parts of it and in many cases the parts of a public university just down the road from our hometown may well have the programmatic advantage over even the Harvards and the Stanfords of the world but there's another private school that I want to look at it's ranked a bit farther it's ranked a bit further down the list of top ranked schools and that's NYU, New York University. It's ranked around number 30 or so on the U.S. News and World Report list, whereas Stanford is tied at number six with the University of Chicago. But here's the thing. NYU's freshman class is more than three times the size of either Stanford's or Chicago's. NYU received 85,000 applications in the same year that Stanford received just short of 52,000. So Does the fact that NYU's acceptance rate is higher than Stanford's mean that NYU is inferior to Stanford? Or does the fact that NYU garnered considerably more interest than Stanford make it superior? Well, it's hard to say for sure, but this much I can guarantee. Both schools are just outstanding, and both will create enormous value for anyone who's lucky enough to attend. Now, let's take a look at a great public school like the University of Ohio, where the accepted applicants hovers around 24,000 from the 49,000 applicants it receives, leaving the school with an acceptance rate of just under 50%. Now consider your odds of getting into Ohio State versus Stanford just based on those acceptance numbers alone, 49% versus 4%. And then ask yourself, Are you really going to get an education that's worth more than 12 times that of Ohio State out at Stanford? Well, of course not. The answer is no. You play this game, you play this scenario out with your local or regional university, and you'll find the same kind of results. Let's take, for example, Southeast Missouri State University or Southern Illinois University, for example. Fine schools in their own right, but with much higher acceptance rates, in the neighborhood of 75 to 80 percent. In other words, You have a three out of four chance of getting into either of these public schools, and you'd get an excellent education at either. You'll have the advantage of having access to in-state tuition if you live in Illinois or Missouri, and you'll probably be closer to home than if you'd chosen Stanford, Chicago, or NYU. But there are a few more distinctions to consider between a typical public school and a private school. Both public and private schools have their alumni networks, and both can be extremely valuable in landing well professionally, socially, and often geographically. But it would be disingenuous of me to suggest that the alumni network of a regional public school could rival a highly selective private school. That said, sometimes the strength of a local university that serves more of a regional student body can be exactly the sort of network you might want. For example, I'm going to compare two private schools, but They're very different in uh, character and makeup. 125th nationally ranked St. Louis University has a larger alumni presence in St. Louis than does the 16th nationally ranked counterpart, Washington University in St. Louis. The former just serves more people who wind up living and working in St. Louis, even though this school also serves a national and even international clientele. If a local network is important to you, you may find value in considering how that plays out with your local public university, assuming there's a good chance you'll be working or doing business regionally. Now, this is not carved in stone, but this is just something to think about. Another thing big public universities are truly great at is putting on a powerhouse athletic show with all the social trimmings. Now, as a percentage, very few college students will actually play at the varsity level. And, and that's true regardless of whether you're at a big school or a, or a smaller school. But look, it sure is fun to watch, isn't it? Don't get me wrong. Bowdoin College, which is a wonderful school in Maine, has its polar bears. And Washington University in St. Louis has its regular bears. But they both play in Division Three, And D3 competition just doesn't draw the same sort of enthusiasm as the roar of a D1 showdown like Auburn at Alabama or Illinois at Mizzou. Now, that said, there are some fantastic private schools that compete at the D1 level, to include Stanford, Northwestern, Vanderbilt, Duke, and Georgetown, just to name a few. But if big time athletics is your game, you're much more likely to scratch that itch at a big public school than at the typical private school. Now, in terms of rock star academia, you can find that at both the private and the public institutions. But here again, depending upon what you're measuring and how much that's worth to you, you will find more Nobel laureates associated with the top private schools than with the public universities. And you may have an easier path to top graduate school programs with a solid degree from a top private school than from a regional public university. Although I will say the state flagship schools will serve perfectly well to get you into virtually any graduate program for which you are otherwise qualified. Well, we kind of cover the waterfront on this private versus public thing, and there's a whole lot more that we could say about the two formats, but I think basically we've hit on all the, the high points. Um, public schools tend to be much larger. They tend to be less expensive. They tend to be a bit less selective. Um, they tend to be a bit more uh, athletic-oriented, and oftentimes they can be found much closer to home. Next week, we'll take a look at putting together your target list of schools to which you will apply. Now, there's a bit of rhyme and reason to it, but it's not really rocket science. Still, I'll walk you through a few helpful strategies that just might give you a bit more comfort while making this important list and checking it twice. Be sure to subscribe and join us each week. Episodes always drop on Tuesdays. Until then, I'm Craig Williams for Beyond the Tassel. Stay safe, stay healthy, and make yours a worthwhile journey.